Um, I am making waves here in Utah. And what I mean by that is uh, my influence in the real estate market has gotten some significant attention where I've got a bunch of people using our charts. And I'm going to actually start with that and then we'll end with it also. But one of the things I developed really early on and I got access uh, to this data, I'm one of a handful of people that get this data before anyone else uh, in the state of Utah. And so I'm getting this data and you guys have access to it the moment it comes out. But the uh, link, let me get you guys, what's an easy way I could do this? I've shared this before and I'm trying to think how I've shared it. I'll, I'll find it. I'll find a good way to get you guys access to this, but this is actually a public doc. And so if I have time at the end, I'll get a QR code so that you guys can get the link or I'll throw the link in the webinar. I actually might be able to do that now because uh, it's this long link, but you can get access to this chart. It's got all of the charts for the latest month in real estate. And as you can see, and I'm going to just highlight one area and then we're going to dive into some of the things. Mean days on market is going up where median square foot has dropped. And if you look at the median listing price along with average listing price, we are off the highs guy. In fact, we have not overpeaked median listing prices in the US for over a year. So the market has been flat and declining. So anyone who's telling you that the real estate market wasn't going to get impacted, anyone who is telling you that uh, home values were not dropping and we weren't seeing a downside, and there's no way that prices could ever come down, they do not understand all of the factors that go into how the real estate market works. And I'm going to bring in probably eight new variables for you guys to consider. But before we do that, I want you to hear uh, from a major, major real estate investor that I follow who has also been making waves uh, around what he's calling the, the eye of the hurricane. In fact, he's calling where we're at currently in the real estate market a Category 5 hurricane hovering over the entire market right now. And uh, we're not, you know, I would call us on thin ice. He's saying we're actually in the storm and that it's not, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But anyways, here's an interview uh, by Sturdelick. Let's see if I can pull this up really quick. I, I pulled out a minute and a half that I liked out of this interview. Uh, you can find this interview yourself. It was done by Bloomberg. And I just really like what he had to say about this because it's so the opposite. Barbara Corcoran got on literally 30 days ago and said the most ridiculous thing. And I get it. She has a bias. She owns tons of residential real estate. And when I say tons, I mean like billions of dollars, just like this guy. But to just lie to the public to try to somehow persuade buyers and sellers, it just it doesn't work. You can't fight the natural order, right? For those of you who are traders, you can't flick the wick to go up right you can't you can't you can't blow on the the price to come down you just can't you by yourself could not do that and you with even billions of dollars often don't have the ability to do that this is fun i'm doing this for my office today so we're getting some background noises i've got this train that just went by but let's uh let's go ahead and play this really quick i think you guys are going to like this like to say is a hurricane over real estate right now. We're in the oh, category five back. hurricane and it's sort of a black cloud hovering over the entire industry until we get some relief or some understanding of what the Fed's going to do over the long. So there's right now many people hurricane. think the real estate market's going to be in trouble because high interest rates are making it more and more difficult for people to service their loans and we're going to have a lot of defaults soon. What do you think about that observation? Anything with a fixed income stream is worth less when rates rise. And Everything with a fixed income stream suffers or does worse when rates rise, period. And that's one of the major factors. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to go right from this to debt to income ratios in this country. And uh, I'm also going to talk. To, I don't know if I grabbed this, but there was an article that recently talked about the decline in wages, not incline. There's actually been a from the last 12 months a steady decline in wages, meaning the same jobs with the same titles are actually getting paid less. So employers aren't increasing wages with inflation. They're actually doing the opposite right now because inflation is making harder to get profits out. So anyways, here's Barry again. And, um, 
It's an interesting situation because the rise in rates, usually real estate's the culprit. We often cause calamities in the economy. Banks get overzealous, lend 100% of cost. In this case, we really were an uh, accidental consequence of the Fed's actions. We, we didn't really cause this problem. Banks uh, hadn't over-levered, loans weren't over-levered, they hadn't stretched loan-to-values. Um, and the underlying fundamentals in most of the asset classes in real estate are okay right now in the United States. The apartment market, the industrial logistics market, the hotel markets, those are all in good shape. But there's no question that the Fed has reacted dramatically to try to slow the economy down quite late, obviously. And um, that has impacted real estate values. Yields on properties are moving up to reflect this higher interest rate. And, and the supply of credit to the industry is curtailed dramatically. So um, it, it's, I like to say it's a hurricane over real estate right now. We're in the category five hurricane and it's sort of a black cloud hovering over the entire industry until we get some relief or some understanding of what the Fed's going to do over the longer term. Uh, what what we were just talking about was debt to income ratios being at an all time high, how this is unsustainable and it's leading because people's debt is maxed out. And by the way, the, there is a credit crunch happening, uh, whether whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Test, test. There we go. Uh, there is a, there's definitely a credit crunch going on and one of the ways I'm seeing it right now is my personal credit score. I've changed nothing in my credit behavior and absolutely nothing. I pay for everything, you know, mostly cash. I don't have a mortgage. Uh, my credit card balances are pretty much the same all the time. I pay it off at the end of the month. My score, and you should do this, check your credit score and check your behavior. My score has dropped over 30 points for no reason, no reason at all, other than Dropping the scores, making qualifications for credit harder makes it easier for lenders to deny your loans and to gauge like, hey, you know, is this a top, top, top A credit type uh, person to lend to or not? And so my it was fascinating, but I'm going to have to do some really interesting things to get my credit score back up. And, you know, I'm plus 700 uh, credit score, but it's like there is a crunch happening even in the scoring for people right now. Uh, and a lot of it might have to do with even the country we're living in. As our ratings and our currency keeps dropping, that might actually be affecting the credit scores of the citizens here in the U.S. I know, crazy idea, but that's what's going on. So we moved from that to going to mortgage applications to buy a house. And right now we're at an all-time low, lowest since 1995, down 50% from the, the pandemic. And the reason is affordability. If you look uh, at most affordability maps in real estate, you will see that affordability has become a massive issue and that people in some cases had to put 60%. If they were to buy a house now, the average house compared to the average income in that state, it would be 60% of their income going towards their mortgage, which is completely unsustainable. So people who are buying homes right now in that scenario, the I'm I'm concerned about their percentage or likelihood of defaulting. It's like how are, how are you going to be able to even afford this? And if there's any flux in unemployment, it's going to break. It's this whole house of cards is going to come falling down. So you guys can tell I have a very bearish outlook on real estate. Um, just to give you some context, also because a lot of people think I'm just this is all propaganda. And I'm doing this for like, I don't know, to get attention and it's doom and gloom and doom and gloom sells. It's not like this is this is real. And I'm at, I'm taking my own advice. I'm actually I've been in the market to buy my own home for about three years, eh, maybe two years, right? Right after pandemic happened. And then things went nuts, right? The market went crazy. Prices went crazy. I was about to build. Uh, on a lot I have here in Utah. And I put the whole thing on pause because the market just went wild. And then I started getting really interested because I'm buying my own house, right? And it'll be, I'll probably end up buying cash. And I just, it makes no sense to me. I, you know, it wasn't about getting a good rate. That was never a, a thought process for me. It was all about price. And the prices just made no sense. And so I knew to wait till July this year to like watch the trends. And I'll show you some of the charts that I was using to kind of watch that. Uh, and then July came and it was like, oh, we're lower than we were last year nationally. And then I pulled up Utah's charts. Charts show the same thing. We're lower than we were uh, the previous year. And so we're in a trend that actually is bearish right now. 
And so I'm renting. I've got a beautiful home. I'm paying less for that rent than I would for a mortgage for that home right now. And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to go out and buy right now because all indicators say prices are going to continue to drop. And the type of house I'm looking for, it's probably going to drop another 20 to 30%. Obviously, this is my opinion, uh, but you could call it a trade. Like I'm giving you a real estate trade right now. And it's wait, it's don't get in right now. And there are no, op- if, if you're an investor, there are little to no opportunities right now that make any sense to buy unless you really believe in the asset class three to five years from now, because you just can't pencil it out. You can't pencil out any of these rates. And I'm one of the things I'm really concerned about uh, is this. Let me let me pull this up uh, right here. So I just want you to, to swim with me a little bit in this story. So this is a snapshot. This will give you an idea of how stale over the last uh, this year banks have been around lending. So bank lending is the blood of our uh, economy, right? The way that we do quantitative easing is through the central bank system, meaning if we want to stimulate things, we just lower rates because then the banks can lend for less and it provides more cash to the system. And those who are good at allocating cash go out and make more money and the economy grows. We get more GDP. Well, this graph shows how flat banks have been lending. They are, in fact, even slowly on the decline over the last couple of months, meaning that they are lending less and they're, they have less out in standing loans. So we're actually crunch, we're kind of cr- uh, contracting the amount of cash that we're lending because frankly, rates are higher and you can't pencil these things out. You know, when rates went up 2X, something that would have cost you $3,000 a month of service is now costing you four and a half. And so it just doesn't make sense in a lot of investments to do this. And so the investor market, we talked about this earlier this year, but the investor market is dried up. Uh, in fact, 70% last year of investors completely dropped out of the market. I bet you that number's up to probably 80% now. Um, by the end of the year, I, I would imagine o- almost 90% of investor purchases in real estate have completely come off the market. And it's not because the real estate market isn't good or or there's not profitable projects out there. It just means, frankly, under today's rates, it makes no sense to do anything. So this this chart really shows how the Federal Reserve uses the banks to slow the economy down. And frankly, a lot of people are saying that they waited too long, that they slowed the economy down uh, too late, and that we should have been doing this a long time ago. And I actually do not disagree, although the pandemic uh, definitely threw a wrench in this. So check this out. Here is a, a recent article also. So there is total debt, right? We had like trillions of dollars in total debt out uh, issued by central banks. And here is a uh, article that recently just came out said landlords with $1.2 trillion of debt facing rising default risks. And the problem that's happening right now is there's a high likelihood of, especially in the commercial real estate, of banks getting the keys back. Now, typically when you're talking about that, it's a car, right? It's like, well, I got a loan for a car, can't make the mortgage payment, here's the keys back. Well, however you would like to say that about the real estate market, that's what's happening. And the reason is, is because a lot of commercial real estate lending, and and I'm subject to this too, and it, it petrifies me, are on three, five, maybe seven year loans. And so the average American doesn't know this because when they go get a loan and it's uh, real estate bound. It's typically 15, 20, 30 years, right? Of of a mortgage. And they don't have to worry about the rate uh, getting renewed because it's the whole length of the mortgage, right? They can maintain uh, that debt for a long period of time. Well, that's not how it works in commercial. In commercial, you have to redo it every three to five years. Luckily, we redid ours before the last like four rate hikes that happened. But imagine... I had to refinance everything next year. And by the way, commercial real estate is higher than residential and residential is at 7.4% right now. That's right, 7.4. Commercials, you're going to see anywhere between 8, 9, almost 10% right now. Imagine going 
from, and by the way, I had loans at this rate at four and a half percent commercial going to 10%. And how many business owners do you think have actually marked it to market? Meaning they've taken their existing project and they've gone, if we had to refinance this today at today's rate, would this still work? And a lot of them don't, or a lot of them have their hands tied and they're praying that the feds will lower rates. Well, that's not happening. And if you guys have been watching the news, Jerome Powell, just this last, uh, it was two weeks ago, got back from Jackson Hole. They have this special meeting, you know, upstate from Utah at, at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where the Federal Reserve all gets together and they have these private meetings to really determine what the policy is going to be around rates, rate hikes, rate cuts, et cetera, for the next year. And when they came back from this event, uh, the common sentiment was it's going to be higher and longer than we anticipated. The data is showing that we're going to have to hold rates higher for longer. And so this idea that there's going to be a rate bailout anytime soon, I think is an illusion. I don't think we'll see a single rate drop in 2024. And you guys can quote me on that. That is that is a prediction that I'm making that I'm I'm feeling very strong about there will not be rate declines in 2024 and that perception just changed in the last couple of weeks so you really have to stay on top of this because things evolve all the time around this all right what else do i got here uh oh so here's the argument though so i want to you got to play both sides right here is the argument that the world is making and the news is commonly talking about and barbara corcoran at uh, I'm going to call her a sellout. I don't think I'll ever get the the unprivileged to meet her around this topic. But she went out to Legacy News and completely sold out. And basically is using data like this to say that the residential real estate market is going to go unimpacted by the pandemic and interest rates. And it's just like, what? what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you clearly have a ton of money in residential real estate because you're trying to protect your own asset class. So either she's just completely uh, naive or she's way more smart than we give her credit for. And she's trying to persuade the market in her favor because she's got the asset. So it's either one or the other, right? We Cognitive bias is what we call it, where you own something and so you have a natural bias towards it. You know, if you owned Apple, you're naturally going to have a, a, a bullish stance on Apple. If you own real estate, you're naturally going to have a bullish stance towards real estate. If you, you know, fill in the blank, guys, this works with everything. But it's either that or she knows and she knows so well. She's such a smart individual that she actually got on television to try to persuade the market. But this is the argument that her and other people will make. Well, it's like, well, Matt, we are at all-time record lows in inventory. It's like, I get that. I understand. If you go back to 2008, you can see the spike here. See the average line. And if you go to like right about the center, you see that huge spike that happened where inventory went from like 1.7 million to 3.4 million. You see that spike that happened. And by the way, it happened in like a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. This was the 2008 drop off in the market. And everyone says, like, everything feels fine, everything looks fine, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. But the reality is, guys, it does not take much. It doesn't take long for this house of cards to fall and for there to be a 50% rise in inventory. That's what happened in 2008. All With the unaffordability in the market, with interest rates on the rise and debt-to-income ratios at all-time highs, it is my theory, my thesis, that... For us to have a 50% increase in inventory could happen in a month. It could happen in 30 days. It's just waiting for that right domino to fall. And the domino, if you've been listening to me, that I think is going to cause this is unemployment. And that's actually finally starting to happen. So I, I'm going to actually show this to you guys. Let me bring this up really quick. I wasn't planning on doing this, but it just makes sense to show you guys this. So unemployment rates are kind of this backbone to the economy. Unemployment data typically shows if we're going into a recession 
let's see if I can pull this. I'm trying to get the Fred chart on unemployment. Sorry, guys, I didn't have this one up. There we go. Pull this up for for everybody. There we go. So if you look at unemployment, it, I mean, it's pretty staggering. Even the last year, you'll start to see that it's coming up. But if you're to look at a five year, it's like, holy cow, we are at like an all time low. This was the pandemic. If you look at a 10 year, you can see clearly at an all time low. If you look at all over time, all time low also. The, the time that we had some of the best unemployment was uh, in May 1950s. Uh, and some people will argue with me about this data, but here's what I want you to see. Just because we have unemployment, we, I want you to see the timing that happens. So, so like historically, it's like good times, good times, good times. Unemployment gets to an all time low. Then we have a recession. Unemployment goes really high and they kind of happen hand in hand. Unemployment, recession, unemployment, recession. These little gray areas, these slivers are market market defined recessions. You guys already know, I think we're in a recession. I actually think we're in a silent depression, but these are marked. Like there's actually levels and numbers that we use to mark a recession. Uh, even though when you have massive inflation, it really causes inflation or it causes a recession, but it doesn't meet the matrix because all the numbers are skewed because of inflation. So look at this record lows. If you go to a year though, it's finally starting to tick up. We came off this all-time low. And this was the only thing that I think would save us. We have to stay down. This number has to stay low or we're screwed. This whole house of cards falls down. The real estate market, the stock market, gas, uh, every, everything, right? There will be some things that we'll benefit from. But overall, this was going to be bad for America. It's going to be bad for the individuals here. But it will get inflation tamed, which means if you have dollars stored anywhere, uh, you can worry less about them losing their value. But look, guys, we just came up to 3.8 from 3.5 in the last month. And I am hearing rumors everywhere. And this is in Utah, in a place where we have in people piling into Utah right now. Tons of people moving here. People exodus. The exodus of California is moving. I would say half of it's coming to Utah, right? Our population growth estimates have almost doubled uh, since the pandemic. And we were already looking to double over the next 10 years. And so we're seeing this problem. And my friends, the people here that I talk to are running out of runway. In fact, even in the last two weeks, I can't tell you how many companies I've heard of that are having massive, are planning massive cutbacks, massive layoffs, and frankly, don't have the runway. They're trying to get rounds of funding, but the money just isn't there because you all this debt, right? All this QE disappeared, rates went up, and no one's interested. Frankly, investors aren't interested in helping round seed two or seed threes uh, in these startups because, frankly, the cash is getting sucked up and people are kind of hoarding their little their little pile of cash. So this is the data piece that I watched the most. I kind of have everything already figured out. Everything I went over kind of gives you that basis also. And this is the one I watched the most because, guys, if unemployment goes to 4%, five, my, my prediction is 5% is the kicker. So all the data that I've pulled together, all the, the patterns, the charts that I've seen in the past, it's 5% that's going to be the number that kicks things over. And if we see 5% unemployment, guys, just be ready for a storm and you better have a way to short the market. You better know how to do that. You better tell your friends how to do that. Or worst case scenario, you, you got to, it's going to be similar to 2008 where we're putting cash literally under mattresses. So there's uh, the Fred's unemployment. Let's see where we want to go from here. I think I feel pretty complete about that. Let me let me show you my charts and I'll give you the national data. And this is real data. I have I can't tell you. I get on social and I have a couple of these videos go viral. You know, I've got I had one that hit over uh a quarter million last week and let me see if i can bring this up hmm 
don't know why I can't. Did I close it? Oh, there we go. But I had a, a video go viral. And I just, I'm so, I'm disheartened by how much people believe the media. Like, I mean, I remember when I was young, I would watch the news and I would believe the news like, well, this is the news. This is what's real. This is what's actually happening in the country right now. And it's it's heartbreaking in a way for me to see that there's just so many people in this country that still haven't woken up to that. Meaning I just don't, the moment I turn on the news, I don't watch the news anymore to get what is actually the truth. I watch the news now to see what is the propaganda. What is the narrative that's trying to be pushed? And it's so interesting that that mental shift occurred probably in the last four or five years for me. It was probably during the the whole Donald Trump reign and then the pandemic happened. And then everyone started seeing like this. There's a lot of things I remember the news saying that just isn't true and wasn't true. It didn't work out that way. What was really going on? And a lot of, you know, I'm not going to go down any of those rabbit holes anymore. But my lack of trust towards legacy news is just it's gone. It's diminished. And I would say most of the population is there, but I get on my social and it's fascinating. People think I'm pushing propaganda and it's like, you just can't fight the data. Like people think the market's better than it was last year. And it's like, where are you getting this? The data doesn't show that. And so I'm going to actually show you guys the data because uh, I have this old saying that if you compare your opinions to numbers, numbers always win. And you have to kind of believe that as a trader, if you're an investor, you, you really have to get out of your own way, your own bias. And you really have to let data make your decisions for you. And frankly, the reason I haven't bought a house, the reason uh, that I haven't got into that market, I, and I watch it all the time, is because frankly, everything is saying, I'm going to get a better deal next year. Everything is saying we're already in that trend. And so until I see that stabilize, I'm not going to buy something that I'm going to lose a ton of equity in and be like those people in 2006, 2007 that were buying all these homes and then had in California a 40% drop in their equity or in Utah a 20% drop or in Nevada, Arizona, sometimes up to 60% drop. It kills you. I had neighbors who did that and they had to wait out 10 years in a home that frankly, if they just waited a couple of years, they could have bought something for nothing. And- uh, been in a, a financial position, I would have been much better. So this is why I do this for the public. This is why I talk to my family and friends about this. And you guys get me for an hour a week. Okay. So, but anyways, here's median list price. I'm gonna go through these really quick and then show kind of my favorites, but median list price is, is what it is. It, it's the median list price of the average or of, uh, homes in the U S. So it's a median list price of homes in the U S and you can see this was last year here. And July, July was here and plain as day, it was higher last year than it was this year, plain as day. And you can see that we're dropping off of that. And that's more of a seasonal trend, just like we did last time, even with inventories at an all time record low. Uh, average list price is doing something similar, but you can see average came up a little bit higher this year and is dropping faster. But again, same, I'm seeing the same trends. This is not a strong incline like we saw through the pandemic. It is a toppling. It is a head, you could say, of a chart. Uh, price increase count, you can see that we've been on a very steady decline in price increases, meaning that how many homes percentage-wise in the U.S. moved their price up? And you can see the last two months, sideways to down. And then this last month, we had a very small percentage increase in price increases. And it was probably in some of those areas, you know, not here, but in some of the areas uh, of the country that have population growth, massive demand, and that's actually happening. Uh, price reduction count. This is obviously way outweighing the increase count. We've seen a large increase in price reductions, meaning people are waking up going, I don't even know how our, like, we're going to get this price or they have to bring the price down. And this is with, by the way, this is what makes this data scary is price reductions in the lowest supply that we've had in homes for a long, long freaking time. You guys remember this chart? Look at this chart. 
inventory is at an all-time low. Even though I believe we can spike, we're still an all-time low. And so to have this with price prices going down, it, it one plus one isn't equaling two here. And so there's something off. There's a disparity uh, between what we want the market to be doing, what we believe the market should be doing, and us kind of playing catch up with what the feds have been doing with interest rates. Uh, check this chart out. So if we go to median listing price, you can see that the median listing price per square foot has also dropped. So I like this chart because median price or average in, or average price has a lot to do with just the price. It does like it has nothing to do with how many square feet are you getting, how big is the house. But this one's interesting because this is actually saying it's cheaper per square foot and it's lower than it was off its all-time high of last year. So we're definitely off of the trend and you can buy nationally. This is in every state, but nationally you can buy less than you could last year uh, per square foot. And I here's another chart I really like. This is the pending ratio. Pending ratio is something uh, that you want to follow pretty closely. And typically you can see we're between a quarter percent to a half a percent uh, in terms of the ratio. And what this is, is listed homes. So this is the number of listed homes and homes under contract or pending homes, pending sale, you could say. And it's a ratio. And so obviously if we got to zero, that would mean that we have uh, an equal amount of homes being listed that are going under contract. If we go below zero, that means we have more getting listed than are going under contract. And you can see that we are definitely in a trend where it's heading that direction, or at least we're getting back to normal, you could say. New listing count, though, did come up a little bit last month nationally, which, by the way, out of all the data points, this is my this is the one chart that it's like, what what? the f right what what is going on here like this is confusing historically we do not have an incline between uh july to august it, it actually it, it's it's kind of unheard of people the, the homes start dropping off in the fall they tip the inventory is dropped off because people have bought them and we typically do not see an incline in this time you typically see the inclines right at the first of the year Right, an incline there, incline the first of the year, incline the first of the year, incline the first of the year. This is when you typically see an incline. And we had one also at the beginning of this year also. But to have one happen mid-year is like something's off. And, and to have that happen with the inventory that I just showed you, inventory at record lows, something, this is like, a, I always look for red flags. And of all the data, this one chart, this this data piece concerns me the most. Low inventory, listing counts going up and doing it at a time of the year that we've never seen before. That to me is a red flag. And I I'm hoping, you know, for the country, for the market, this goes back down. But if this continues to rise, new listing counts start to rise, this means that they're this whole house of cards, and again, this. I think this correlates with that unemployment number. People are starting to default. People are starting to have to foreclose because cost of living has gone up and it's like food costs more, fuel costs more. I mean, I, I know I'm preaching to the crowd here, but because of all those costs going up, now you go unemployed for two months, a month, and your ability, your we call it runway, right? Your runway to hold you to landing your financial plane down and keeping your house and finances in order just got shorter. And so I predict when this happens, it's going to happen faster than it happened last because debt to income ratio is worse than it was. And when the dominoes start to fall on the unemployment side, it will actually happen faster than it happened before. And it would not surprise me to see massive foreclosures. I know that sounds so crazy, but I would not be surprised to see people start handing the keys back on homes they bought last year or the year before or the year before that. When rates were high, there was no equity in the home. And that's actually what caused the pandemic or excuse me, the real estate crash last time. It wasn't people that had you know, 50% uh, equity in their house. It wasn't people with low uh, rates, low mortgage payments and tons of equity. It was people that bought at the spike the top of the market 
and then needed to move, had no equity in their house, the payments made no sense, and then rates dropped. And the scare that will happen is the same scare that happened in 2006 through 2008. When rates start to drop, the people that get pissed, the people that get upset or, and just hand the keys back are the ones that are like, what the heck? I could have got a rate at 4%, but now you're telling me because I missed payments, blah, blah, blah. I can't even refinance. And I don't have any equity in this house anyways. Here's the keys back. And how many how many invest here's the here's the the side of it that really concerns me how many percentage wise of those homes were not actually bought by families they were bought by investors where they don't even have a personal guarantee on a lot of these loans they went out and started a hedge fund got a millions of dollars went and started buying out all these single family homes over the last couple of years because of that chart that i showed you inventory says we're at an all time record low you're going to make a ton of money if you you know, buy now. And by the way, I think when, if, and when this all like the cycle happens, the people that do buy now and can hold are going to be like freaking out about what stuff's going to be worth in five to 10 years. I do believe that. However, because we've got this issue, this credit crunch, that's, you know, kind of piling down on everybody. I, I just don't see how individuals are going to make it. And it'll be investor money. Like we were talking about that goes back out into the market. They're going to be the ones that hand the keys back immediately. Like, oh, someone's not going to pay rent for this that matches my mortgage. Yeah, I'm done. Here's the keys back. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, there is a big gap between rent values, by the way, and mortgage values. It's actually cheaper right now in America to rent than it is to own your own home, period. And that gap got enormous uh, in the last six months. And so it just doesn't make sense to buy a house. It's more expensive after you add up your mortgage, you add up all your taxes. You can get the same square footage, the same layout, you know, the same house virtually for rent for way less than you could to buy that house today. That's just the facts. And you wouldn't know until you went and sat down with a loan officer, ran the numbers, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a totally different climate now today. And so something's got to adjust. I think rent values likely will come up to meet that demand, but- or not rent values, uh, rents will have to kind of come up to meet the mortgage value, but I think mortgages will likely come down. So there's going to be either a massive move in rentals, a massive move in uh, real estate prices dropping, or one or the other, They'll, they might just meet in the middle somewhere. But regardless, gaps never stay gaps. They always close. And this gap will close the gap between rental costs versus owning your own home. And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to, to buy right now. Uh, active listing count. This is how many are listed total in the U.S. You can obviously see we're on all-time record low. We saw that on the previous chart, but things are ticking up and we're not at the all-time low that we were at last year. There are more homes at the bottom of this year than there were last year. So homes are starting to stack up. And so these rate hikes are starting to cause that. And I would imagine next year for this low, if you kind of just follow this trend, I would imagine we're going to be back up into this range here, uh, probably into next year in, in terms of inventory, doing nothing, start adding changes in unemployment, all that other stuff. That's just going to magnify how fast we get there. Total listing count. You can kind of see where we're at here. The trend has definitely changed, guys. If these were candles, traders, you could definitely see we are out of this trend. Like we've broken the high. We're in kind of this new territory here. And so where does this go next? Pending listing count. This is how many how homes are under contract. And then median square feet. This is an interesting chart. After the pandemic, the average square footage of the home went up. And I think that had a lot to do with people having to work from home. They're like, oh, I need another room for my office. I need to upgrade our house because I'm here more often. You know, There was a lot of home improvement that was going on through those years. Uh, but you can see that the average size has actually been increasing over the last couple of years, but then recently dropping the last three. And then last but not least, we've got median days on market. This is how long homes are staying on the market. And you can see that it's pretty tight, but it is going up. We're definitely off the lows of the last two years, meaning people weren't even going and seeing a house and buying it, right? You guys remember those days? We're off of those days. And the amount of time homes are staying on the market is going up and we're definitely off of the lows. So good news 
for new home buyers. Bad news if you bought in the last couple two like last two or three years. You're pr- other than having a low rate and it being more, maybe more affordable. Uh, it's very likely that the price of your house may drop below, but the rates would be higher. So you're actually in a way you've got the house cheaper or it's more affordable than it would be, even though you're not going to be able to leave it. You're going to have to stay in that house. Uh, bad, bad news. If you're trying to get a HELOC or a equity line out of your house, banks are definitely crunching right now. Uh, if you're considering that, I would do it sooner than later because it's just going to get harder to get those. And it has nothing to do with your credit score or your ability to pay it back as an individual. It It is that there's a, there's a credit crunch. My business is even feeling it. The people trying to apply for credit to like do things or pay for education is getting harder also. And so it's not just uh, the feds. It's not just home buyers. It's it's everywhere. Uh, the credit crunch is happening, even in credit cards. You, it's very likely that most of you on this webinar, even in the last year, have gotten a statement from your credit card company that has done one of two things. They've either lowered your overall lending amount or they've changed their terms to have higher rates. It's one or the other. And so everyone's feeling it. Everyone's making adjustments. The good news is that like we're coming in, we're bringing this plane down. The the world's not coming to the end. This will not crash the dollar. The feds really do have what they are doing figured out, but it's going to be painful. The, the big takeaway I would take from all of this, if you're running a business, your own personal finances, uh, trying to grow your wealth, is get used to, start planning for higher, longer. And what I mean by that is, the rates where we're at, staying where they are for a much longer period. The idea that we're going to drop rates next year, I think, is ludicrous. I think uh, there's a lot of news, legacy news in particular, that's doing that to try to prop the markets up and keep the markets high. I just don't see how that's possible, guys. All right, let me see what else we've got. We're Oh, let's go into a trade. So I promised that I'd start doing this trade thing uh, once a week. And so I'm going to bring this up for you guys. I really want to, to give you guys some value and I'm going to start doing these technical trades uh, once a week also, just to give you a sense of who's sponsoring this. So this is the market pulse is all sponsored by green chart. Uh, green charts, a charting software platform. I'm on their charts right now. This, what I've got actually pulled up is gold. We talked about gold last week and I'm actually going to, uh, get like some things set up so we can start tracking results and putting in real trades on real money uh, on Friday. Because I, if I'm doing this, I'm doing the work, might as well get paid for it also. Uh, but again, this is not trade advice. Do not copy me just because I've been doing this for years on end. There's a lot that goes into this. Uh, but this is information you guys can take back, then do your own research. And if you want to start taking some of these trades, uh, you're welcome to do so. Just make sure that you know that you're doing it at your own discretion. Having said that, gold is hot. And I want to show you some stuff going on with gold that I really like. And this is a overall technical summary. So there's fundamentals, there's technicals, and you got to account for both. Right now, fundamentally, gold looks good. Why? because we have inflation still going. It's still not tamed. You always have inflation. Uh, when deflation happens, this weird thing happens with these gold assets that people pull money out of the banks, freak out and actually end up buying gold and silver. And so even when things deflate, it's kind of the correction period and asset classes start to go back up and they'll set new floors and new ceilings. Uh, gold and silver are very much highly manipulated by the banks. In fact, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase got fined millions of dollars for manipulating silver prices, and they still do it. They just pay the fee. Uh, and, and I think it was like a $50 million, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like a $50 million fine they, they paid last time for manipulating silver prices. And it's just a wheelhouse for them, the way that they make money doing this. Uh, having said that, there will be a ceiling that they just can't hold anymore and it will break out and then they'll create a new bracket that they kind of trade inside of. But here are the technicals. So we know fundamentally gold and silver looks pretty bullish. Inflation has a lot to do with that. The dollar losing value. Uh, and it's not just 
inflation. It's that the dollar's losing value globally. And so to, to have other asset classes than the dollar, I think is really wise right now. And if you haven't considered this, I would strongly consider diversifying your holding assets. Instead of having things denominated in dollars, you might start thinking of getting things denominated in Bitcoin or Ethereum or gold because the dollar is long-term losing value. We're in one of the last cycles of our currency. And if you study, you know, actually Ray Dalio did a really great job in one of his books. Uh, what was it? I'll have, to, I'll have to find what the title was, but one of his most recent books talks about basically the fourth turning in a currency and how the dollar is in that cycle. And he goes through centuries of currencies that have gone through these cycles. And so we're experiencing that. So I like gold. That's the fundamentals. Here's the technicals. Technicals right now spread out among about 12 oscillators. Most, and by the way, this is on a daily. So I'm on a daily uh, overview on oscillators and uh, moving averages. But our oscillators have things past neutral. They're in a buy. And we're looking at almost 12 different oscillators from an RSI, stochastic, commodity channel index, awesome oscillator, momentum, MACDs. Uh, here's another stochastic RSI. Here's a Williams. I'm not sure what this bull pair power is. But anyways, there's 12 here. Two of them are, are saying buy. The others are neutral. On the moving averages, though, I thought it was interesting if you get into the 50s and 100s, there's most of them are saying sell. So that would mean more of a long-term, like really long-term, 50, 50 to 100 days. So that'd be like, you know, we're talking half a year uh, type of trade. But your shorter terms from 30 days, 20s, and 10 are mostly buy. And then your really long-term are at a buy also. So 200, so like a year outlook, you could say, or a third quarter, three-quarter year outlook. And so we're not in like the super strong on technicals, but everything in summary is saying buy, moving averages buy, oscillators buy. And if you pull up the charts, I would agree. Here is my daily chart. So I've got a, a one day on the right, a four hour in the middle, and a 30 minute on the left. And if you pull up just the daily chart, let's see if I can get this to come in. Oh, why it's doing this? It's like stuck looking at these. Sorry, I'm trying to pull this up. All right, I'll just do this. So, since November of last year. If you go, this is a daily, by the way. So if you go back, this is clear into April, January, and then here's November. November would have been a great time to buy, by the way. We're seeing prices down into the 1600s. And it's like, we're probably not going to see uh, prices like that again. But maybe, right? Maybe. With the dollar and all the inflation that we've had, I just, I can't see the price dropping below this price ever again. But what I'm doing is I'm showing long term, right? And this is that 100 plus or 200 plus trend on the moving average. You can clearly see we're an uptrend. But then there's kind of like this 50 day and we're in a short, like a downtrend. But then if you look at like your more short term within the last week or so, we're back in a long trend. And so that's why you kind of have some mixed technicals right now. But overall, the pressure is into a buy. I want to point this out though. This is all technical. So I've got my support levels drawn in. I've got my uh, channels drawn in. And if you're to take the high here, draw it down into this channel, you can see that we kind of are at a, a pinch uh, or what I would call like a technical pressure point. And you have this up pressure that's coming from our up channel. And so when you really look at this, Like that. So you can see we've got like probably a week, maybe two weeks if we were to really pull this out. I might do that just to kind of see where these cross. 
Sorry, I'm going to bring this in just a little bit. It's like right in there. So, I mean, we probably have a week and a half for this pressure to mount. But let me tell you about these, these lines and what happens in these points. Support and resistance-wise, guys, we are right in the middle. And last week, we were right at the uh, right here somewhere at the top. We were still pretty bullish on this. I still, I still am, but we did break the channel. And so you could have adjusted your trade after that channel had broke, if you guys remember. We drew this channel here on the daily. And we had a clear breakout this week, right, towards the downsize. Uh, and that really was dollar-denominated. The dollar just got stronger, and it caused gold. Uh, prices to drop because of that. But long term, I'm still in this thing because we're right between two major support and resistance levels. So you're not going to see a lot of like pressure from sitting on the floor or sitting on the ceiling. But we we have this non-linear support and resistance is what I call it. Non-linear, meaning you've got resistance on this level here and you have support on this level here. And as Imagine it being like a ball that you were throwing into a corner or a cone. And as you bounce it, it bounces faster and faster and faster, right? Until it gets to the center. But imagine this ball is a, is a steel ball and its velocity never slows down, meaning it's always going to go forward. Well, in that case, unlike the ball, this is like a bullet that will bounce until one of the walls breaks, it will hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall. But at some point, it's got to break off of one of these walls. And that is what will happen. So what actually happens is what we call a consolidation period, typically, when there's support and resistance like this that's nonlinear and is dated, right? This is like a month. The last one was like over 100 days. And so this is dated support and resistance. And we often see consolidation. So when this happens, and let me get rid of some of the drawings here. When this happens, some really cool stuff happens with it and i just want to draw i'm gonna do this you kind of get this gosh we've got too many drawings on here but you're gonna have this weird Kind of thing that happens above and below this price and so what you're going to want to watch for is a breakout and because i'm bullish i don't see much room to the downside here and your last support level is at 1882 so just looking at this having a technical bullish standpoint a fundamental long-term bullish standpoint i mean i wouldn't mind owning this, right? I wouldn't mind owning gold long-term. I, 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 it's a it's a hold trade I'm not opposed to. I'm pretty bullish. I, I would say if a breakout happens to the short side, it's not going very far. 1882 is kind of the support. And so you're probably going to get a bounce after it comes down off that anyways. But the likelihood, there's like all these strong things happening in favor of a bullish move. And it's going to happen Monday. If it moves out, it will start to happen in Monday. If we get a break, above this support line, it's going to break to 1967. It's going to test 1967. In fact, let me bring this down because it's not an accurate drawing. It's going to break into this region. And then it's going to want to hit this new ceiling and it's going to play with that price. There's probably a ton of limit orders there. And then it, it may break through depending on the amount of pressure that this wedge creates. And so I'm, I'm bullish now. I would be bullish on Monday. You could go extremely bullish, I think, if this thing had a breakout, meaning if this thing broke and you were there to see it break, I would be strongly bullish. And then I would be setting my targets inside, like below this 1967 price and my stops below 1882. The other thing you can do is just a breakout trade and you can actually run your stops non-linear with this. So wherever the price ends up being, let's say that we take the trade today. I would be going long. I'd be buying right now at this price. I would be selling. I'm going to change the colors on these. Otherwise, we'll never understand this. We'll do blue for buy. I would be selling pre 
market here. So I'd want to be hitting this target somewhere. I'm going to change this to pink. And then I would set my stops below this level here, below 1882. And so I'm going to take a screenshot of this so that we have it next week so we can see what actually happened. But I want to give you a sense of like how to do technical analysis like this using green chart because it's it's really great to know the fundamentals. Like today was all about real estate, but it's nice to know like how to you like how to be financially literate. And frankly, I would say 90 plus percent of my audience isn't. In fact, I was uh I'll I'll say this and I know I'm going over, but this is just really valuable information. I was with my coach uh Jay Abraham over the weekend. Uh, my partner and I flew out to California to meet with him. By the way, Jay Abraham is one of the top business entrepreneur coaches in the country. I mean, he's got lots of credentials, over 12 books, works with Tony Robbins really close. Uh, he's just one of those guys, and he's a really brilliant thinker. Uh, he's just got such a brilliant mind. But anyways, we were talking about things, and I asked him, like, what did you, what do you wish, you know, you would have done differently? You know, if you were 40 years old, you know, and you could start over or make some changes of what you're doing at 40, what would it be? And the answer he said was actually surprising to me. I thought he would say health or something like that. Cause you know, as you get older, health is an issue. And he did mention that second to this, but the one thing he left me with was he said, he wished he had spent more time becoming financially literate because he said he even had some huge wins. And you know, this is Jay Abraham, you know, where he'd have an event that he'd make $40 million in. And he's like, I just, I knew how to make it really well. But my friends who are financially literate never had to work for it again. They would work for it once. And then after they'd done that, they were so financially literate that it worked for them the rest of their lives. And I had to go back out and replicate what I did because, you know, I gave money to the wrong people. They took advantage of me or, you know, I spent it too fast or I bought things that I really didn't need or whatever. You know, the story really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But it's interesting to hear from someone that is a, a multimillionaire even say he wished he had been more financially literate. And I would say the same thing. Financial literacy, I think, is the solution to this. And the problem is, is we don't teach that K through 12. In fact, you don't learn it, you don't learn it in college either. They don't teach financial literacy. They teach you how to get a job. They teach you to take the paycheck. And if I can get you, you know, 1% at a time away from that, that will make a huge difference. Because then you won't be stuck in these crazy positions buying houses and being strapped to the government and a American dream for the next 10 years as a slave financially to a problem the feds created and our politicians created. And you frankly had nothing to do with that. So that's my goal in doing this podcast is one, teach financial literacy, two, give you some examples and carrots why to do that. And then three, have you apply that to your life and sharing it with the people that matter to you. So I'm going to end on that note. Thanks so much, guys, for being on here. It's been a pleasure. I'm really enjoying this. Um, we're going to do the same time, same place next week. And next week, instead of doing real estate, we're going to be talking about the market. And I'll be doing two trades instead of just one. But thanks so much, guys, for being on. And we'll see you uh, same time, same place next week. Uh, you're welcome to leave. For those of you who want to stay, I'm going to bring up this chart and give you guys a uh, code somehow to get access to this because for some reason uh, it's not doing that. So I'm going to throw this in the chat to everyone. Here's the link. So there's the link in the chat, guys. If you want to copy that, you can have free access to it anytime you want. I updated at the first of the uh, I updated at the first of the month. And you're welcome to share it with anyone you like also. I send this I have lots of friends in the real estate uh, arena, spe specifically here in Utah. I'm talking huge people, like like the top builders in Utah are using my charts now. And so this will get out there. There's no question that this will become uh, trendy. But anyways, if you have any questions about real estate, uh, particularly the US, this is the US's. And I have one more. Well, I'll, do, I'll save that for next month. Anyways, I got to get off of here, guys. Thanks for being on. We'll see you next week. And uh, feel free to share this with anyone that you'd like. I am working on building this channel now, and we're finally getting serious. So the next couple of months, you're going to see some massive upgrades, one in the podcast, two in my social, uh, because we're finally, the reason we're doing this, we finally have our legs figured out, and uh, we're going to be taking this a little bit more serious. So thanks for pioneering this with me, and we'll see you next week.
Bye, guys. 